Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pursuit of Bliss podcast. This episode is a little bit different because I've never really covered this topic on the podcast, and we're going to be talking all about heartbreak and breakups and moving on from exes and healing between relationships and Um, I've been receiving so many inquiries around these topics. I decided to bring in an expert to talk about. So uh, Kendra Allen is here with me today and we talk all things heartbreak, breakups, and relationships. She is a breakup coach. And, you know, honestly, this is so, so needed because I think um, a lot of people underestimate um, the pain that can be experienced during heartbreak. And, you know, I always speak about this in my podcast and in terms of manifestation and that is you can only go as high as you go low, right? You have to be willing to reach into the depths of your emotions, your sadness, your grief, your hurt, your pain to reach the highs and to manifest everything you desire. And so I thought this topic was so applicable because learning to, um, to work through the pain and, how to handle the pain in a healthy way and how to heal so that you don't attract the same toxic patterns and how to know if you're in the right space to get back with your ex or to find someone new. And uh, Kendra is just so incredible. She knows so much about breakups. Obviously, this is her entire uh, life's purpose and career. She helps people to uh, find inner peace again. And I think you guys are going to find this episode extremely valuable, even if you're not experiencing a breakup, because I'm not currently experiencing a breakup or heartbreak of any kind. And I took so much, so much, so much away from this episode. So in this episode with Kendra, we talk a lot about how breakups can be actually one of the biggest opportunities in your life, how to deal healthily with pain after a breakup, Uh, how to know when it's the right time to date again, how to know whether it's right or not to get back with your ex, how to recognize and break patterns so that you're not consistently attracting partners with the same toxic patterns, and of course, how to ease the pain of heartache and breakups. So whether you're experiencing a breakup, you know someone who is, you've ever experienced a breakup in your entire life, or you're simply just interested in dating, This is going to be a really powerful episode for you. I'm so excited for you all to hear it. It's so good. And Kendra is amazing. So without further ado, here is Kendra Allen from Breakup Bestie. All right. Well, hello, Kendra. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for this conversation. And um, I'd love if you want to just maybe introduce a little bit about yourself for people who don't already know you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to, to do this interview. My name is Kendra Allen, and I am a breakup coach. I own a company called Breakup Bestie, which I started, gosh, three years ago now. So started as, you know, a blog on the side for fun and that morphed into a coaching practice. And now I have online courses and have built this, this online community helping specifically women go through breakups. Yeah. And I'm so happy I found you. Like you just came into my reality at the perfect time because I've had so many people reaching out around this topic and wanting to know how to heal. And I teach on manifestation. So how to manifest healing through whatever they're going through. So I can't wait to dive into this, but I'd love to know first, like, how did you get started? You know, I don't know any other breakup coaches, yeah. um, you know, how did, how did you get into this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I tell people like, if you would have asked me like five years ago, if I 
saw myself being a breakup coach. I, it was nowhere on my radar, but it all stems for me from personal experience. So I, when I was 18, I got into an emotionally and verbally abusive relationship that I was in for three years. And when I finally, you know, and it was, it came with so many wounds and a lot of trauma and, and all the things that a toxic relationship comes with. And I really decided, like, I didn't heal it for a long time. And so I saw in myself the the ramifications of what it looks like to not heal after a breakup. And, you know, what that translated into for me was I started dating again because I just, you know, I didn't want to feel my feelings. So I thought a new relationship would, would fix that. And around the same time, I also got sober. So I've been sober for almost eight years from, from drugs and alcohol. And in my head, I thought, okay, now that I'm sober, I'm going to meet the best guy. And I even remember my dad saying like, well, now that you're sober, maybe you'll actually like meet a good partner. And, and then, you know, I started dating and I, I got into this string of relationships three in a row, actually with, with emotionally unavailable men. Mm-hmm. And at the time, like I, I didn't see it as a pattern and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself from like a bird's eye view of continuing to make the same mistakes over and over again. So I went through a breakup in 2015. That was like the breakup of all breakups. It was, you know, the first one that I had, it was the first serious relationship that got broken up with when I was sober. So I didn't have, you know, anything to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made this conscious decision back in 2015 that I was actually going to go through, like I say, through the breakup, like I wasn't going to go around it. I wasn't going to just like distract myself away from it. So I set off on this journey of just trying to like soak all these tools up. I, I would call, I remember like calling women that I didn't know that well, but that I know went through divorces or breakups. And I would ask them to go to coffee. And I would just say like, what do I do? Mm. And like, anytime someone said, read this book, I would read it. Like I was basically just like a sponge for healing because I was in so much pain. And then, you know, I, I went through this whole process that included therapy and tons of journaling and, and all the things that I recommend now. And when I got to the other side of that breakup, I went through it in a way where like, I was very open about it. So people knew that I was going through this. And so people started coming to me for advice on, on breakups. And I was kind of the person in, you know, my social circle that people would come to if they were going through that. And And that led me to, you know, looking online, like what kind of breakup help is there out there? And I, I really didn't see anything that gave practical advice for breakups. There was a lot of how to get your ex back, how to get over Mm -hmm. your ex in 28 days, like all these, yeah, (laughs) all these. Yeah. And I tell people like it sells for a reason. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, if I had found that during my time, like I would have purchased that too. So I just, I saw this gap online of, of really practical and, and healing breakup advice. And it, it's such a universal thing that we go through. And it's just interesting that we have programs to, you know, for nutri- like nutrition and fitness and all of these things, but breakups are one of the more painful things we ever go through in our lives. And there just weren't a lot of programs out there. So that's mm-hmm. what, you know, led me to, I said, okay, I'll start an Instagram and, and see if people like it. And it caught on really well. And that led to a blog and then the course and then my podcast. So it's really just evolved from 
you know, personal pain to seeing a need and and now having this business. Yeah. I, I love that. It's so needed because you're right. I, other than meeting you, I would have no awareness around resources for this, like at all. And I love what you said about, uh, you mentioned, um, I think kind of, you know, avoiding the pain, like for you as finding a new relationship. And I know what that feels like. Let me numb the pain by feeling better about myself, by finding someone new to validate me. And I know everyone has a different way of numbing pain. And so for people who are, I guess, experiencing pain and um, want to actually experience healing, I mean, what are the best steps to start to take to, I guess, not fall back into those numbing patterns that maybe aren't the best for us? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, when I'm working with clients now, like I have clients tell me that they they don't feel like they'll be happy unless they're excited about a new person. And I, you know, tell them like, I know that feeling, but it's just not the case. And and when it comes to how do you actually feel the feelings, I tell people that you basically have to find this balance that works for you because I don't think we can feel feelings that intensely for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Like we just turn into like a crying puddle. (laughs) So it's about, you know, developing practices that, allow space for feelings to come up and then balancing that out with, you know, healthy distractions of seeing friends and, you know, doing things for yourself and exercise and all of those like healthy coping skills we have. But my number one thing for feeling feelings is, is journaling. I'm such an advocate for daily journaling because I have always been someone that's really good at like talking myself out of my feelings when I'm talking to other people. Like even my therapist I see now will be like, let's take a step back. Like, let's actually get into what you just said you're feeling. But when I journal, it's like this honesty just flows out of me. And I, I find myself a lot writing things down where I'm like, I didn't even realize I was, I was feeling that. So I tell people like starting off journaling five to 10 minutes a day, just really honestly, and and seeing what comes up and, um, you know, just setting up spaces where you can feel your feelings. I have like a whole section, one of my courses on crying and figuring out your crying practice. So like for me, I, if I know I need to cry, I'll get in my car and put on really sappy love songs and just, just sob, you know, and that's my, that's my practice that I do it. So it's figuring out what kind of space will bring those feelings up for you and what kind of practices will feel Mm -hmm. like bring that up for you. And I tell people like, try to do it in the mornings. So that way you have the rest of the day to kind of recalibrate and, and get back into some normalcy and then balancing that out with really healthy, distracting practices as well. I really like that because I feel like a lot of the advice that I see out there is, Oh, you got to stay strong. And you know, I love reality TV. It's like my guilty pleasure. And something I see all the time on reality TV dating shows is girls telling each other, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. No, no, don't, don't cry. And it makes me so mad because kind of like you're saying, I feel like it is such a release that's necessary. So I love that you have turned it into crying as a practice. Um, Playing sappy songs in my car definitely works for me too. And one question I got from listeners that they wanted to ask you is, um, that was a common question is how do you ease the pain? So where is the balance between, okay, wait, I need to feel the pain versus the pain is too much. How do I ease it so I can actually live my life? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think a lot of this comes down to learning how to, to be in your, be in your body which, you know, was, was such a long journey for me to figure out how to do. So it's just a matter of allowing yourself to do those things like journaling and crying, and then 
but then to ease the, like easing the pain is going to come a couple different ways. I think like we have short-term easing the pain. So that's like getting together with girlfriends and, you know, going on, which I tell people too, this is a heck of a year to go through a breakup with everything going on. So I had to adjust so much of my advice this year, but, you know, going on a road trip and like, you know, trying new things. Like I tell people like expand your interests, try a new restaurant, like try a new skill, try a new hobby. So those are more of like the short-term easing of the pain. The long-term easing of the pain, unfortunately, is a lot slower. And that comes from journaling about your feelings, like expressing your resentments that you have towards your ex, towards yourself about the relationship, really diving into like, what are my fears that are coming out of this breakup? Like, you know, it's a common fear that I'm afraid I'm not going to find someone again. And so getting honest with that and then looking at it realistically. So I'd say, you know, the short-term easing of the pain is going to come from healthy distractions and they don't all like, they don't have to all be healthy. Like, you know, having a glass of wine at night and, you know, going like trying casual dating if that works for you. So there, you know, it doesn't all have to be like strict and and healthy and, and all of that. But um, so that's going to be the short term. And then the long term is going to come more from just yourself and like writing and focusing on you and looking at the feelings. So it sounds like it's like a healthy balance between allowing yourself to feel the feelings and also allowing yourself to do the things that make you feel better short term, Exactly. Um, having a combination of both. Yeah. Cause I'm definitely a glass of wine kind of girl. See, I tell, you know, clients if they're like, well, I'm like having a glass of wine every night, which I didn't used to do before. And I, mm. and I tell like, have grace with yourself yeah. after a breakup. Like if you fall off your healthy eating or if you like stop extra, like whatever you have to do in the beginning, as long as it's not extremely destructive, I say like, be very kind with yourself and give mm-hmm. yourself a lot of grace. People don't, I don't think people allow themselves to realize how hard a breakup is, but there's so much that goes on mentally, emotionally, like physically that happens after a breakup. So yeah. you have to be really, really kind to yourself in the beginning. Yeah. I definitely resonate with that. I think what can oftentimes be worse than the pain itself is the judgment of how we're dealing with the pain and the judgment of ourselves for having the pain over how we're coping with the pain. And um, you know, coping mechanisms are called coping mechanisms for a reason because they help you cope, right? Like they have a place and they can be useful. Like you said, if they're not destructive. Um, so I guess, you know, how do you, you know, find that fine line between like, am I using too much numbing, too many coping mechanisms, am I drinking too much wine versus like, am I actually dealing with this in a healthy way? You know, for me, at least sometimes I feel like it can be confusing and hard to have grace, um, when you don't even know how, what dealing with this pain in a healthy way even looks like. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good question. And I think it comes down to, like, I tell people, if you catch yourself not feeling anything about the breakup and you, you know, you go long periods of time, not even acknowledging that you're in pain. And then typically what happens all of a sudden you have this huge meltdown, which could come from something that is, is very small So I tell people like breakups need to be kind of like a volcano. It's like you either need to like let lava come out continuously. Otherwise, like you're going to get like stuck and have this huge explosion. 
So if you're catching yourself not doing that, I mean, it can come down to, I, I had a client that was constantly listening. She told me, she said, I'm constantly listening to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't know why that is. And I said, I know exactly why that is. You're not, you don't want that blank space because you know, right when you stop, it's all going to come out. So if you're finding yourself like burning yourself out by making plans and distracting and you do, you're completely uncomfortable when you're sitting still, I'd say that means you're distracting yourself too much. Mm. And then if you find yourself like not being able to go to work or you find yourself ice, like isolation is not a friendly thing for yeah. breakups. So if you're finding yourself like not answering your friend's calls and declining all the plans and, and not wanting to talk to people, then I'd say like, you need to do some more distracting. So that way you can bring yourself up because breakups are very destructive to our lives, but there is a way to do it where you can keep up with your day-to-day commitments, go to work, do all the things that you need to do, and then allow yourself that, that space to, to cry and, and feel the pain too. Right. When you have the practices and rituals in place to help you deal with it. And actually what you brought up reminded me, I did have someone ask, you know, why don't I feel sad? Um, why am I not mourning this relationship? And so that would, would that, do you think, would that be related to what you just spoke on where you're kind of just, it's going to explode at some point? (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's different. It really depends on, on the breakup situation because I see people who their breakup was, was happening, was happening for a long time, like where they knew that it wasn't working and so they, they had time to mourn the relationship before it actually ended. So that could be the case as well. Mm. Um, or it could be, you know, that you're not like, you're just not looking at it and you've just kind of decided like, all right, life's going on as usual. I'm going to start dating again. I'm going to get into a new relationship. I'm going to throw myself into work, all of those things. And then you're like, why am I not feeling sad? And it's just because right. you haven't taken the time to think. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And speaking of um, not feeling sad and um, moving on and things like that, I know a big topic is um, wanting to move on with the same ex, right? Going back to them. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? You know, like, how do you find the difference between I truly do have feelings for them? I want to get back with them versus this is just me trying to avoid my pain by numbing it, going back to that one thing that'll bring me the high. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good topic. And I actually, so my personal story is the the breakup for me that happened in 2015 mm-hmm. is actually my now husband. Wow. So, so I actually okay. did, and I did a podcast episode called Why I Married My Ex. And right. I mean, I'm always so careful in, in sharing that story because it just has so many caveats. Like we mm-hmm. were broken up for a year and a half. We didn't talk. We didn't see each other. Like it was a, it was a full-blown breakup and it was a wild surprise that we got back together. But I tell people there's typically four things to think about in terms of getting back together with an ex. The first thing is just recognizing that just because you miss someone, just because their absence is causing you pain, it doesn't mean that it's like, I see a lot of people who interpret this as like a sign from the universe that they're mm. supposed to be this person, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. they, they just manipulate it. So it's like, no, it just like, if I miss them yeah. so much, I'm, I should be with them. So just recognizing that just because you miss someone, like, you know, we miss a lot of when something leaves, we miss it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we're supposed to, you know, be mm-hmm. with that person. And then the second thing is really taking a look at 
why the relationship ended because after a breakup, we tend to look at the entire relationship through really rose colored glasses. And we're only bringing to mind the good things that happened and, and what we end up missing. So part of what I do with clients is I have them write out the entire relationship, the entire breakup, what happened. So that way they can look at it objectively and, and look at like, wow, is this actually something that I like someone that I want to be with? I've had so many people that have gone through my course and that I've coached that said, I thought it was the perfect relationship, but getting some distance, I see that it was not meant to be. And I yeah. find that happens most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, looking at like how much time has passed, if it's been three weeks and you want to get back together, like, (laughs) do you really think three weeks can bring any, any amount of change? Mm -hmm. And it's typically no, it's like Mm -hmm. realistically, and if you're being really honest with yourself, did anything change? Probably not. And then the most important thing I find is what kind of mindset are you making this decision from? Are you making it because you're lonely? If you're making it because you're lonely, it's not the right decision. If you're making it because you're so uncomfortable without this person, probably not the right decision. If you're making this decision from a position of feeling empowered and really in touch with yourself and you've you've healed like the the really initial wounds and you think, wow, I I still really want this person in my life because I Mm -hmm. love them and they add so much to my life instead of making up for things that I'm missing, then you can, you know, then I would consider it. Right. So it's kind of, I guess the big part is looking at the space between and what's happened in that space. Have I changed? Have I healed? And so in terms of like after a breakup, um, whether or not you're going to get back with someone, in what ways is it important to like look at the wounds or heals or heal or find those patterns that were existing so that whether the next relationship is the ex or someone else, we're not repeating the same patterns over and over and over and over. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important to do that. And I find that so many people miss that step. And that's my favorite Mm. thing to talk about is when we just jump from relationship to relationship, we don't take the time to look at, you know, I tell people like, what did you like about your ex? Like, those are good things. Like, you don't need to go to the opposite of your ex. You were with them for a reason. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like building this this picture. It's like, okay, I like these things. I'm going to take them with me. What did I not like? What are things that I didn't like that have existed in all of my relationships? Mm. So a lot of it's just going to be building awareness. So that way you're not jumping to the opposite. You're not jumping to the exact same thing over and over again. You're taking each relationship as this beautiful learning experience and then building a picture of, of what do you really want in a partner? And that I think is so important. And you know what you talk like with manifestation, we, we can't really manifest something if we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So I would get asked all the time in my dating, like, do you have an ideals list? And I would say like, yeah, I mean, I I can't like, I kind of know what I want, but it wasn't until like I got it down on paper. Like, how do I want to feel in this relationship? what values do I want? Like, what do do I want to share with this person? Mm -hmm. What do I want it to look like when we have conflict and we're fighting and all of these things. And then I got that really strong picture and it allowed me to make the decision, not because I needed something added to me. Like, I hate the, like finding your missing puzzle piece and finding your other half. It's like, I believe relationships work as two whole and complete people coming together and just adding Mm -hmm. stuff to their life. 
Yeah, no, I am the same way. Yeah. I, I, my view on relationships is like the other person will always reflect the love you already have for yourself. You know, they can't love you in ways you're not loving you. And, um, yeah, speaking of making lists of ideals, um, some, I think of past relationships for me as like each one was a teacher and, um, you know, okay, what could I learn from them? Cause they're all here to guide me, um, and to give me more clarity about what I want. And something my roommate and I did a couple of weeks ago is, we were feeling really negative about our exes and we always complain. We're like, Hey, we're being too negative. We're going to sit down and we got a poster board and, and we put down the name of all of our exes and we wrote down like three things that we loved about each of them. And when we're done, we had like a list of 30 things and we're like, great. We have a list of exactly what we're looking for in our ideal partner. Yeah. Um, and it was just like that one small shift from like constant negativity and complaining to like, wait, like you said, there's a reason we were with them and there's something we can learn and clarity that we can actually gain that can help us to manifest the partner that we want. <laughs> exactly. And I think breakups happen for a reason. And I think mm-hmm. relationships happen for a reason. So there mm-hmm. are things that you don't want to take with you. And there are things that, that you do want to take with you in, into future relationships. And I, I tell people like, don't jump right into what you liked about the person. Like you got to get some distance before right. you can look at that and not just look at it as like, I miss these things so much. So in mm-hmm. the beginning, it's really just like patching up the wound and like making sure you're okay. And then once some time has passed, then you can get into like, what did you not like? What did you like? Right, right, right. You don't want to go yes. straight into, you know, missing them, going back to them for the wrong reasons. So in terms of like having that distance, I know you talk a lot about the no contact rule. If you want to speak on that and do you recommend that for the entire breakup or for just like a time period? Like what does that look like? Yeah, I am such a big advocate for the no contact rule. And it's because, I mean, for me, a lot of it stems personally because I was never, I never did the no contact rule. Like I always stayed Mm -hmm. in touch with exes. And, but what I finally learned is, I mean, physiologically, when you're in a relationship, they're doing a lot for you. Like Mm -hmm. they're giving you dopamine. They're giving you all these like chemicals because you're bonded with the person. And so like you guys regulate each other and, you know, there's all these things that happen. So once that person leaves, like your body needs time to, to detox Mm -hmm. that away. And if you see them again, and that's why, like, when you see your ex's name pop up on your phone, like you get this rush of Mm. feelings because your body's used to that. And so the more you do that, like the harder it is for you, even just talking physiologically for you to let go of that person. And I tell people like with no contact, it just, when you're in touch with your ex, you're really just delaying the breakup because unfortunately, like our hearts don't have an on and off switch. We can't just say like, okay, I was in love with you on a Tuesday. And then on a Wednesday, I'm just going <laughs> to see you as a friend. It's right. just, we, it just doesn't work, work that way. It doesn't yeah. work that way. So, you know, and I find like when people are contacting their ex, it's typically like the motives, not typically just because they want to be friends with them. It's typically because they don't want to lose that connection. And they, they mm-hmm. hope at some point they'll be able to get back together with them. And it really doesn't like when I'm speaking about all the healing and all these like beautiful things that can happen post breakup, where you get to know yourself and you, you look at all these things. If you're doing it while still being in touch with your ex, like you're probably doing it to like mold yourself into what your ex wants instead of just Mm. doing it for you. So we're not giving ourselves that space to focus on ourselves if we're still having that lifeline. 
And I see people that can be friends with their ex right away and can practice, you know, can contact their ex. So it's, it's not like a hundred percent black and white rule. However, I do find that it works, you know, a majority of the time, just so you can give yourself that space and, you know, asking about like, how long should it last? I tell people it should last until you feel kind of indifferent, whether Mm -hmm. they contact you or not. Right. So it could be a week, could be a year. It doesn't matter. And what does that no contact look like? Is that like no texting, no calling? Is that like blocking on Facebook and Instagram, like blocking friends of the ex? Like how far does no contact go? So I think like at the base, it's, you know, no, no texting, no calling, no seeing each other. But then this also, you know, there are people that have children with their ex. So that has to look different. So Mm -hmm. I tell people like, if you have kids with your ex, like, your contact is just about your kids. Like you're mm-hmm. basically just talking logistics at this point. So that's kind of the baseline. And then the rest of it is what's going to make it easier for you to not do that. I find mm-hmm. that if you're seeing your ex on Instagram, you're like, they're in your, they're in your space. You're going to want to yeah. contact them if you see their stories. So for the most part, I do tell people not necessarily blocking, but at least like unfollowing them. So they're not popping up all the right. time because I also have this thing of like not playing investigator on your ex, because the mm-hmm. thing is like, the more you focus on your ex, the less you're focusing on yourself. Yeah. You are the person that needs to be focused on the absolute most after a breakup. So if you are putting all your energy into figuring out how your ex is doing, what they're up to, who they're seeing, all of these things, you're it's, it's energy that's spilling out of you when you really need all the energy as possible. Yeah. And then with, you know, blocking friends of exes, it's really just a personal preference. If I tell people like, if you are really conscientious and you're scrolling Instagram and you see your ex's friend pop up and it makes you feel, if it gives you like a little sting, mute, like mute them for a little while. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, the investigator thing, I feel like it's a big one. Like, Oh, are they talking to other girls? Who's in their story? What are they posting? Who liked their pictures? Yeah. I feel like social media can make it hard um, you know, to not put the focus on other people. And I love what you said. The focus should be on you, on your healing, on your growing. So you can attract, um, the right person, whether it's your ex or not. And a question that I got a lot of when I asked the listeners what they wanted to know about breakups was, um, you know, how do I know when I'm ready to date again? And on the other end of that, you know, how can I, date when I still have love for that person. Right. I feel like they were my soulmate. It's not going to work out, but how do I get back into trying to date when I still have these feelings? Yeah. And I know I, people ask me for like timelines a lot and I I never give timelines just because Mm -hmm. I see people in six month relationships who are more heartbroken than people that get out of a 20 year marriage. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on your level of connection and all of those things. But My general rule of thumb of when you're ready to start dating again is asking yourself, am I dating to substitute the pain? Like, am I dating as a substitute to all the other healing work that I'm doing? Or am I dating as a, as an addition to that? So if you're just transferring your pain into dating, I'd say you're probably not ready to do it yet, but you can still be in pain over an ex and date. I think that's a hundred percent. Okay. And it's, 100% normal your first few dates you go on all you're doing is comparing this new person to your ex Mm. it's just it's natural like you were with this person for a long period of time you know everything about them so of course that's your frame of reference that you're going to compare everything to so don't like freak out or think that you're not ready yet and you know so I think it's just a matter of do I feel 
at least partially whole and healed. And then dating can just be like an added thing that, that I, um, that I'm bringing into my life. Right. Um, I like that. So when you're not using it to numb or avoid pain, but rather it's coming from a place of, I feel excited about this. I want to add this into my lifestyle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be a substitute. It should be like a bonus in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I also had someone ask, um, how do I stay in the reality of a situation and not build up illusions of what I want it to be? Right. Considering, um, building up illusions about how amazing they are and yeah. how we shouldn't be breaking up versus like, how do you stay objective and actually see what's going on when you're so caught up in, you know, the feelings? Yeah. Well, I think that can apply to, you know, getting out of a relationship and then also with dating, you yeah, know, there's that totally. whole thing, like don't fall in love with potential mm-hmm. <laughs> done it so many times. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. So you know, speaking to when you come out of a breakup, how do you look at it objectively? Writing is going to be a great way where you can just be really honest and, you know, catch yourself if you find yourself like defending your ex to people Mm -hmm. around you, which is, it's a normal thing to do, especially if in your mind, you want to get back together with them. Of course, like if your friends are trash talking them, like, you, you want to defend him because you want to leave that door open in case you guys get back mm-hmm. together. But just be aware, like if you're defending them, I, you know, I just think like the process of writing down the entire relationship will bring a lot of things to mind and know too, that as more time goes on, more things are going to come into your mind of like, Oh, I actually like, didn't love that about the person. Or this time when he said that to me, like that was actually really hurtful. So some of it's just going to be time. Like in the beginning, all you're going to be thinking about is the good things. And I also tell people like, ask your friends and family for honest feedback. Mm. We tend to, I mean, it's not fun to get feedback in that, in that way. And I, you know, when I was in that toxic relationship, like everyone had very strong opinions that they didn't share with me, which is understandable. Like I would have gotten defensive and probably pushed them away. But afterward, just hearing like, wow, it looks like your, your light really went out when you were with that person and he, you know, he didn't treat you well. So inviting some of that feedback from your trusted friends and family, like what did they see in the relationship? And then too, a lot of that's also going to happen when you write down that ideals list and you say, okay, am I going to, I'm going to compare this. Does this match? Mm, Probably not. And, you know, and then moving forward, like, how do you stay in touch with reality? I tell people you should, you should have two lists. You should have your ideals list. And then you should have like your non-negotiable list of Mm. like, they're not even red flags. Like if this pops up, like I'm out, like I, I'm not going to, um, to put up with that. And the courage to be able to stand up for yourself in that way come is going to come from a place of, of self-worth and self-esteem, which is why healing is so important because that's going to increase your self-worth and self-esteem. I stayed with people far longer than I should have because I didn't feel like I was worthy of, of having what I actually Mm, wanted. I've been there as well. It's kind of like that scarcity mindset of like, am I ever going to find someone better? you know, and I don't yeah. want to be alone. So shouldn't I just stick it out here? And yeah. so, I mean, what, what do you say to people who have that belief? Like, but you know, maybe things aren't working out or we're breaking out, but I want to get back together because I don't actually believe that I can find someone else. 
Um, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you heal through, through that kind of belief or mindset? Yeah. So one way I tell people to do that is I tell them, look back at your relationships before this, because I honestly think that every time we go through a breakup, we do have that belief. Like mm -hmm. this is the best I'm going to get. And, but then when you can look at it that way, you'll think, okay, I felt that at one time and then my next relationship was better. And then I felt that again. And my next relationship was mm. even better. Like I, I have a mentor who anytime, you know, now I'm like married, but anytime I'm not getting something that I want or things aren't working out the way I want, she tells me like, Kendra, if at one point you got what you wanted, like you'd be married to like a farmer in Wisconsin, like that's who, <laughs> like right <laughs> so it's, it's just looking like looking back in hindsight it doesn't even have to yeah. be with relationships but look back on times when you thought this is the end of the world and it ends up turning out to be something beautiful and way yeah. better so I think hindsight's sometimes the best way that we're able to find hope for the future right finding alternate proof in your own life that sometimes what yeah. I think is so real is not always universal truth and yeah they're still gonna work out even though I, I don't feel it in this moment yeah. Kind of and then also finding expanders in your mm. life of people that are in great relationships and ask them like, where did you meet this person? And I remember I was doing that and someone was like, I met my husband on a plane. Like I, we just happened to be on the same flight. And so then you think like, wow, one moment could completely alter my life. Like it doesn't, because you look around after a breakup, you look around at all the people, you know, and you think, yeah. oh my gosh, everyone's taken or I'm not interested in any of these people, but we get so stuck in our little world that we forget that there's so many people out there that, you know, we could happenstance run into. And I, I truly think that if you are open to finding a relationship, you will find one. Yeah. I love that. And I'm just curious, what is your take on soulmates? Yeah. I it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I like I don't know if I necessarily fully believe in them to be, to be honest, because if I, if I look just looking back at my own experience, if I look at the, the men in my life that I called my soulmate, yeah, I was using it to hide something else mm. because I, I really wasn't supposed to be with them, whether it was like a love bombing situation or a mm. trauma bond or like something like that. You know, I, I, I feel in my heart that I'm, I'm meant to be with my husband, but I don't necessarily know if I'm like, my soul was meant for you and we were made to be with each other. Like, I, I think we have an a, incredible partnership. Um, you know, we have all the great things that make up a relationship, but I don't necessarily like believe that that's how I would describe it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've never really had the belief that we all have one soulmate we're meant to be with. I think we all have a lot of soulmates and they're all here to teach us and help us grow. And I personally think everyone that you ever fall in love with is a soulmate, but it's, it's not a forever. This is the only one soulmate. You yeah. Know? And I've had, you know, I love that you just said that. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way, but like I've had friends in my life that I feel yeah. are soulmates and they're my soulmate for a time because they bring something out of me that needed to come out and they, yeah. they push me to grow in different ways. Um, but it wasn't like a forever thing necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I feel like you can have soulmate friendship, soulmate everything. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the thing people get stuck up on. Oh, he was my soulmate. Like I have to get him back. He was my soulmate, but it's like, well, there's another soulmate waiting for you. And he might be more than you ever imagined could exist for you. Um, and so that's kind of like 
how I think about things when I'm going through moments like that. And um, you mentioned trauma bonds and love bombing and things like that. Um, if you want to maybe expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So and I, I will I, preface this by saying yeah. I'm so not an expert, on these <laughs> things, but I've, I've lived them. Mm. So, you know, with, with trauma bonds. So the best way I can describe it is, you know, when I first got sober, I, you know, in early sobriety, like I'm, I'm super raw. I'm like coming to grips with, with reality. And I like, I'm coming to grips with the trauma that I've had in my life. And I, I met a guy who was also in early sobriety and we had these like super intense conversations mm. about our lives and what we've been through and what we want. And it felt like, I mean, we said, I love you. Like two weeks, like two mm. weeks into knowing each other, because it was just so intense because we were bonding from, you know, having trouble with drugs and alcohol and, and childhood trauma and all of these things. But then, you know, coming out of it, it was like, I don't, I don't know what he liked to eat. You know, it's yeah. like, I didn't like, we, we just didn't like, that was the only thing we really bonded and connected on. And it gave this false sense of deep intimacy mm. when that's not, that's really not what it was. It was kind of this illusion of it. And then, you know, love bombing is, I think it's Dr. Drew that describes it this way, but it's like that, it's like the lightning in a bottle sensation where it's like constant butterflies, like they're showering you with gifts. It's like so intense in the beginning. And I think a lot of people look at relationships like that and they're like, Man, I'm so jealous. But the thing is like, it's usually a sign of toxicity or, and believe it or not, it can be a sign of emotional unavailability because they're just like showering you with love right. to sweep you in and then they're not capable of keeping you. Hmm. Wow. I, I've heard of those terms before, especially love bombing. Um, and I've heard, I don't know if this is true. I could be wrong. That it's also a sign of like potential narcissism in someone it's like draw yeah. you in and then they want to receive the same back or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I think things like that are really good to have awareness around, especially if you're um, heading back into the dating world to be aware of, especially like the intimacy around trauma. I've experienced that where it's just like, whoa, where's this deep connection coming from? Um, yeah. and it really is just your trauma, recognizing their trauma. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're so right with the love bombing with narcissism. Anyone mm -hmm. I talk to that's been in a narcissistic relationship, they will talk about the first six months to a year, they were mm -hmm. swept off their feet. Wow. And what it does is once the relationship turns, which it does, all you're doing is you're trying to hang on to that first year. You think I, but he, I know who he is deep down. Like he showed mm. me that in the first year, but the fact is like, that was just to, you know, sweep you off your feet and basically justify everything wrong that goes on from then on out. So it is, it is important to be aware of because I think, especially with social media, like we see, you know, I catch myself doing it too. I see, you know, people coming home from work and they have like a bouquet, like the size mm -hmm. of a table on their thing, like every week. And you see these like crazy, you know, gestures of, of relationships and, and you think, wow, like I, I want that. I need that. And that stuff is great. And yeah, it's like, if you want a guy that gets you flowers, find a guy that that's in that it's important with, but mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that like, that is what makes a relationship yeah. good. 
Yeah, totally. And do you feel like you see that often in clients you work with or students in your courses where they're going through a breakup, but they're hanging on to maybe that wasn't like a narcissistic love bombing that extreme, but maybe you hold on to how it used to be as a justification for the things that were maybe toxic that led to a breakup? Yeah. Yeah. I find that especially, I I think it really pops up with people that did end up in toxic relationships. Like they really, really hang on to the times that it was good and neglect the times that it wasn't. But I tell people like you, like I ask them like, okay, what, what did you really like? And they'll say like, okay, he was, you know, he was a good communicator. Like he was really nice to me, all these things. And I, and I tell them like, okay, do you not believe that you can find someone who's communicative and gets you flowers, but also like, doesn't scream at you? Like, Mm. of course that's possible to find. And another thing I tell people, like if one of your friends, cause we, we can see things so much clearer in other people. If one of your friends was describing your relationship, what would you tell them? Like, would you say like, wow, that sounds great. Or would you be like, that's not a good (laughs) relationship at all. Like why? So being able to, kind of step back and and see it as if it was happening to someone else. And would you tell them to stay? Right. That's an eye opener for sure. Cause I feel like I felt that before I found myself falling into that, but wait, this is how they were in the beginning. Like, isn't that the true them? Like maybe they're distressed and like, I got to give them a chance. And I've heard that a lot from other people as well. So that's really the power advice. to rationalize is so strong. Oh yeah. To it's rationalize so anything. So Your brains are incredible yeah. at manipulating us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious. I got this question often around the topic of cheating and that leading to breakups and around, you know, um, is it, do you believe it's possible for people to change? Is it smart to ever get back with an ex if the reason for the breakup was cheating? Or, you know, what do you typically advise people around situations like that? Yeah. So I think a lot of like the decision of whether to get back t- together with an ex after cheating is going to be a personal decision. Um, I'd say if anyone is in that situation, um, Esther Perel does, she does mm. some amazing talks on like how to make it work if your ex, like if your partner cheated on you and how to make it work again. Mm. But I'd say, I'd say like in terms of going through a breakup where you're not getting back together with that person, but they did cheat on you. You have to feel all those feelings. A lot of it's the same as like going through a regular breakup, but the the feelings are intensified because you have betrayal. You have like, you're, you're going to be completely questioning your sense of self-worth. Was I not good enough? What did I have that, that like, what did that other person have that I didn't? So I think the big focus is building up self-esteem again. So realizing like it had nothing to do with you. It has to do with this other, like it has to do with your ex, not you. Um, and then like being able to get to a place of, of forgiving the person. And Mm -hmm. I tell people like, forgiveness is not approval. It's not saying it was okay. It's just saying like, I don't want to live with this. And so I am going to like give it back. So that way I can go on living happier and like, you know, being able to trust someone in a future relationship, trust issues are of course going to come up after going through a relationship where cheating was involved. So I think really getting to a place of, of trusting yourself. And that also comes with looking at the relationship in hindsight, objectively, and being able to see things that you probably missed, like signs that cheating was happening and, and not because you want to analyze the relationship, but just because you want to be aware next time of like, okay, I want to look out for these kinds of things in the future. 
Um, so really getting to a place where you feel better about yourself and you can trust yourself and then you can forgive yourself and your ex. Mm, that hits home. And I feel like, you know, a big part of forgiving someone that cheated. I know you said understanding it's not about you and the way I think about it, um, is just like, for me trying to understand what kind of deep pain they're experiencing that led them to act so out of most likely their own value system. Um, cause most people don't enter a relationship where it's in their values to cheat or, you know, to not be loyal to that person. So to lead for someone to actually do that, they have to be in, in deep pain that maybe they're not even aware of. Um, yeah. So having that awareness, at least for me was really powerful and helping me to see things from a more empathetic standpoint and be able to get to that place of, okay, I'm actually able to maybe access some forgiveness now versus just feeling straight betrayal and resentment. <laughs> exactly. And I think most of the time cheating comes down to the person's like lack of like self-worth where mm-hmm. they feel so bad about themselves that they have to, they have to get this outside validation to like feel whole. Um, so you're right. It, it comes from them. I post, I'm like totally forgetting the quote I posted a couple weeks ago, but it was basically like someone's actions like that are based on their wounds, not your worth. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's so true too. Um, well, do you have any last words of wisdom or pieces of advice that you would like to share with anyone who is listening to this and really resonating and maybe is struggling with a breakup or a heartbreak of some sort? Yeah. I mean, I would first tell people, like, if you're going through a breakup in 2020, like you are a champ and it's mm-hmm. like, I tell people if this breakup feels like it's taking longer this year than it should, that's normal. Like this is just a different year to go through it. Um, And I would also tell people like everything you're feeling right now is normal, whether it's anger, sadness, betrayal, fear, there's no right feelings to feel after a breakup. Um, So whatever you're feeling right now, like make sure you validate that and give yourself grace for it and allow yourself to feel it. And then the thing I always end with is telling people like, it's going to pass. Like Mm. it's so easy when you're in the midst of something so painful as a breakup that you feel like you'll never feel better again. You're always going to feel this heartbroken. The pain is is going to pass just like everything else has passed Mm. in your life. Um, So it's just a matter of like doing everything that you can to really like love on yourself during this time until that pain passes. Yeah. I love that. And do you want to share with us where we can find you, how we can connect with you, where you are on social media? Yes. Yes. So uh, you can find the best way to connect with me is on Instagram. My handle is at your breakup bestie. You can find all of my courses and everything else that I offer at breakupbestie.com. And then you can also find my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's called Heal Your Heartbreak. Mm. And so tell us more about the kinds of people that you work with. The people listening to this are interested in working with you. Our course is the best way to, to work with you and who, who do you typically work with and how do you help them? Yeah. So, um, yeah, courses are definitely the easiest way to work with me because I, I typically do have pretty limited, um, availability with private coaching, but mm. I have, um, my full bundle of courses, which basically takes you from right when your breakup happens all the way into moving into dating someone else. And then I also have, um, mini courses. So if you're struggling with not contacting your ex, I have a course for that. If you're struggling with 
what we talked about, like not processing your feelings and patterns and resentments and all of that stuff. I have a course for that as well. So, um, so it really just depends on where you're at, but there's definitely something for everyone. And then for those who are looking for extra help and one-on-one, um, definitely look into the, the private coaching. Okay. Amazing. And I'll make sure I link all of that in the show notes so people can go stalk you on social media and listen to your podcast and find your courses. Cause they sound amazing. And, uh, just thank you so much. That was so valuable and I'm just so honored. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Of course.